What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, with a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This is going to be number 35. And on this episode, we're welcoming the mad scientist himself to the podcast, welcoming back Tyler Stevens, who's going to let us pick his brain about how you pilot your deck throughout the course of the tournament season and how you use each level of tournaments leading up to nationals to fine-tune that deck and really be confident and prepared that that deck is ready to rock and roll by the time nationals is here and we're just a mere 44 days away at the time that you're getting this recording so definitely a very timely topic so we've got that we've got spoilers and without further ado we'll get right into it thanks for being here as always All right, guys, thank you for joining for another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, we've got the mad scientist himself. How you doing, Tyler? Yo, yo, happy to be here. Hopefully I don't ramble too much. It's nice to uh, talk to someone else instead of talking to myself, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, although if you introduce another person, you might not be undefeated anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So on this episode, we are going to do like we talked about before, and we're going to kind of talk about the role of, or the process, I guess, of refining your deck from your local tournament scene to getting it ready to play at nationals. And so we'll do that in a little bit, but first we're going to go over recent news, like always. So we'll start with new video from Redemption with Jaden. He's got the Lackey Grand Prix number three final, where he played Rob Smith. And it is titled, I See Your Matthew and Raise You a Herdsman. So that'll tell you a little bit about the strategy there. And you guys can go to his YouTube channel to see if it worked in his favor. And also just watch the finale for the third run of the Grand Prix. In the world of Tyler Talks, he had a video, Once Upon a Time, where he shared the video of a deck that is similar to Chad's, who is See the Tree, if you guys do not know him by Chad. And it's mostly just an aggressive turn one shot at impartial judgment. He shared this instead of sharing the deck that he said that I would like, so this is what we have to deal with this week. (laughs) The other deck will be better. You'll like it more, but I had to uh, jump on this one because I think it's meta-relevant and yours was just for you. I guess we can look forward to seeing that in the future. Our other YouTube video source, Rob M. from New York with Rob M. Studios, did not put out a video this week. Um, We are recording this earlier than normal. This is being recorded on Friday night, just a heads up. So some of this information is being recorded before we would normally be recording. So by the time you get this, Rob may have a new video out. But he did share a video from his friends at Wake Em Up Ministries. It is a Prophecy of Christ box opening, and that is up on their YouTube channel, so make sure you go and check that out if you're into watching box openings. It was pretty good. And that's going to bring us to our spotlight for the unofficial tournaments that are kind of helping us identify and shape the meta. Talk about them all the time. The Lackey Grand Prix, number four, and Zoom Invitational, number three. Both of those are ongoing At the time of recording, I believe we're still in week one pairings for those. But just another reminder for you guys, 
if you're playing those by the time you receive this, the next pairing should be up. Make sure you're getting your games in and taking advantage of that if you've signed up to play. That's going to bring us to the fact that when you get this podcast, we're going to be 44 days away from Nationals. It's it's getting closer. Are you ready, Tyler? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. And I, I feel like I've been playing more than a lot of other people, and I'm not ready. So hopefully this podcast helps out a good bit. Well, yeah, make sure you take your notes because uh, I'm not ready either. Thankfully, I've got two close by regional tournaments that I'm going to be able to attend to work on getting a deck ready. But with that said, I would like to shout out some recent tournaments or tournaments that are happening this week, weekend, coming up. Um, And we'll start with the Idaho State Tournament that actually is happening right now at the time of recording this on Friday night. And so the results will be available for you guys if they choose to share those by the time you get this podcast. But that's being hosted by Mike Lasky. It is June 10th and 11th at Phoenix Fire Games in Meridian, Idaho. So we should be able to see some results from that if they choose to share those. Then we have the New Jersey State Tournament hosted by John M. How do you say it, Tyler? Mikalishan. Mikalishan? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I wasn't that far off last week then. That is going to be on June 18th, and it is going to be at the residence of Steve Leviton. And that is in Long Valley, New Jersey. Ohio State Tournament is also happening on June 18th at Shiloh Baptist Church in Cadiz. I don't know if I said that right, but that's in Ohio, and it's hosted by Luke Marshall. So that's June 18th at Shiloh Baptist Church. And South Central Regionals hosted by Brandon Coderre, is June 17th and 18th at the Arena Games in Universal City, Texas. So that gives us, let's count them up. That's one, two, three, four state tournaments, I believe, I went over. That's Idaho, New Jersey, Ohio, oh, maybe maybe just three, and then a regional tournament in South Central region. So several major tournaments that are happening this week or in the case of Idaho has already happened, but we should get to see some results, maybe some deck lists from these to help continue to figure out what everyone's playing and what's doing well and performing well at the tournaments as we keep barreling ahead towards nationals. With that, I would like to go over a bulletin update that Gabe shared on Discord for tournament etiquette. And things just, you know, a friendly reminder of things that maybe we don't know as players to be the accurate ruling of the way things are or just to be more aware of them so that we are doing things the right way. In his entire post, I'm going to read that and then we'll, you know, maybe touch on the examples that he gave. So Gabe said, as we head towards the nationals with all of the state and regional tournaments taking place, We'd like to give everyone a friendly reminder of a few expectations during your redemption games. Number one, players are not allowed to use mobile devices during tournament play. If you have one on your person, it must remain put away and silenced. And I'll go ahead and be the first to tell you I have broken that a million times. 
So <laughs> I'm not innocent. Are you innocent on that one, Tyler? Don't don't put me on the spot with video evidence, but no, I'm not. I'm not evident. Uh, at one time, I literally had my phone out because it was so. It was like third day in. I was just playing just to give. I was at nationals just playing to like spot in. And I'm gonna be honest. I I was out of it, and I just had my phone out. <laughs> I wasn't even playing the game. I was probably up more on my phone, which is makes me guilty. But which is why this is important because it wasn't fair to the player. So I'm guilty. Keep going on. I'm already incriminating myself. Yeah. Well, see, I was talking about just any tournament, and you went to. Yeah, I did. I've done this at nationals at nationals at the yeah. top level, probably yeah. on the top table. Knowing knowing you. <laughs> Probably being live streamed. Oh wait, no, that's Jay. Sorry. <laughs> um, so just a reminder to not have your mobile devices out during gameplay. Keep them put away to where they do not have any chance to affect the game. If you need a ruling, you are not supposed to look that up. You are supposed to call the judge over and let them handle that. Number two on his bulletin was all cards in your deck need to be facing the same direction with the sleeve opening on the same side. Having cards facing different directions is the equivalent of marking cards in your deck. And then he went on to say, we understand that meek flip characters make this more likely to happen, so we ask that players be mindful of this. I've seen this for 10-plus for years, pretty much since sleeves were mandatory. Sorry for cutting you off. It's when people... When they shuffle, sometimes they'll have one. Their one deck. I, it was just a pet peeve for me, and I'm not even OCD. One deck will face, let's just say, north, and one deck will face south. They'll take the two together, and they'll do the old shuffle, put them together, and all of a sudden, every other card's pointing different ways. It's not intentional, but that's that's what Gabe said. Just be mindful. Put them all the same way, but uh, keep going. Sorry about that. Well, I was just gonna say that one of my favorite things since getting into the game of Redemption is the meat flip characters and seeing those come to the game in lineage of Christ and be carried on in gospel of Christ now. But I can't stand when my cards are facing different ways. It really irritates me almost to the point to where I'm like, should I? Okay, no. And then I won't, I won't fix it if I realize, because now like there's a, there's a, whatever order that I've shuffled the deck, but now that I know it's a ruling, I'm just going to have to, hey, hey, guy, i got to fix this deck. But, but what happens a lot of times for mine is the other player not thinking about it, talking while they're, you know, cutting afterwards or whatever, they'll, it'll just, it just happens. I'm very mindful to make sure that it's not like that when I start the game, but somewhere during the game, some card gets turned around. And this, this happens with, mono color sleeves so imagine playing type two and you have one like you have a stack of 50 and a stack of 50 and you act somehow somewhat like usually when you allow the player to cut this happens a lot you present it to them and they go to cut and some and they go to shuffle and they take your deck and next thing you know it's it's back half of it's backwards or whatever uh so a lot of it's mono brigade sleeves i say mono brigade look at me going but uh one color sleeves, no no picture on the sleeves. And when you present to cut, but imagine in type two where f- literally 50 cards are facing one way and 50 the other, you, you, you go crazy. Yeah. And end rant. So whoever's out there doing that to other people's decks, stop it. Stop it now. 
No, just saying. Just be mindful of it. Um, I guess it's a good thing that I'm planning on getting custom sleeves for my deck at Nationals. I've got perfect artwork picked out for that. And so I've got to get those ordered. So I will have a picture, so it won't be that big of a deal since they won't just be solid color. All right, that's going to bring us to point number three. And this is the one that I think is probably the most 100%. I don't know if it's intentional, unintentional, but I feel like this one happens in every game. I, f- I feel like it's it's one of those that it's potentially just bad habits that have just been ingrained in us to where, you know, especially with Lackey because it's just one click over to see what's in your reserve before you get whatever you're getting out of your deck or something like that. So number three is while completing an ability that requires you to view a deck, discard pile, reserve, banish pile, hand, or any subset of cards from one of those locations, you may not view cards from any location not included in that ability. So if you play teaching and parables to do something in my hand, you can't in the middle of that ability then look at your hand. You have to complete the ability on the card. Right. So... Examples that Gabe gave for this was when an ability allows you to take a card from reserve, you may not look at your hand while completing that ability. Boom. That's when I know happens a ton, especially in Lackey. And then you bring the Lackey potential bad habit into actual in-person games. But that's something we need to be mindful of as players. And then the other example is your discard pile must be a single stack with only the top card revealed. It cannot be fanned that multiple cards are visible at the same time. Now, I'm not going to say any names, but I know that this was asked last year, and I don't think that a clear ruling was given because I think Josh was wondering about it in Type 1 last year if he could have his um, discard pile since it's visible at all. Uh, either player can view it if you can have it stacked or whatever. And then, I guess I said I wasn't going to name names, but... Recently, there was some gameplay footage. This is where I'm not going to name names. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones, Josh, I promise. But there is a tournament footage on YouTube right now where there is a game where there is a player that is you know, staggering their cards in their discard pile. That's all I'm going to say. So You're making it sound so faux pas. It's, I, it's, I'm just saying it's, it's something that like if you, if you don't realize that it's against the rules – you don't know that you're breaking the rules. So if Correct. if you are a person that is stacking your discard so you can just easily glance over, that is something that is technically not allowed by the rules as stated here by Gabe. So make sure that you're mindful of that. Yep. And two, uh, point two is goes to point one, kind of when you, you finish a rule and you or you finish a card ability, you got your, your deck fanned out or your deck discard pile fanned out. You're finishing an ability. It is a massive advantage if you can just glance over at your discard pile and see everything. So, um, I used to honestly love when you couldn't look at a discard pile, and when it was discarded, it was discarded, and you had to actually had to remember what the opponent played. But that's a whole other different topic. So, all three of these are very important. There's a reason that you you spoke about three because these three points because they happen so often it's worth bringing back up because the next thing you know the judges and i don't the judges does not equal elders judges equal anyone that are at the uh, tournament 
to where they're the bad guy because the competitor was doing something wrong. So I think this is awesome to go over them. I think it's awesome for you to go over them. So touche. That's all. And I, I do think that these are things that probably every time that they've happened have been 100% unintentional to gain an advantage. But it's just yeah. potential habits that have been created that just need to make sure that you're mindful of it to erase potential bad habits. Habits is such a good word. I rambled on in my video about habits. And when you talked about lackey is looking in a reserve, completing an it's ability. It's just on one mouse click. So it's like yep, two seconds. All right. And the other person doesn't know you did it. Yep. Like I can't see on your so. end that you're looking at your reserve when you just click on it. So you, mm -hmm. you just create that that's always accessible and then you get into a game and all right. And maybe we'll talk about that um, because I know you said you mentioned it on a previous video that I did watch more than three minutes, but I don't think I caught this <laughs> nugget, um, the one where you were talking about meta or adjusting your deck to the meta and how to play your deck and whatnot and knowing your deck inside and out. But I think you mentioned that sometimes you got to be the bad guy and tell someone, hey, you're doing that, and that's not how it works. Yep. So – Maybe, maybe we'll get into that as we talk about getting ready for nationals because something like this, just be mindful of it as you play through your rounds at nationals. That's going to bring us to new spoilers for this week. And when's the last time you were on the podcast, Tyler? Uh, Have you only been on the one time? The one time and then was with, one of the – Oh, and then with Jaden for Jayden. type two. Was it two separate times? I thought that was the first time. No, you were on – Respect your elders, which was out. You were the uh, first you. elder that I got on the podcast. You're right. Look at me, young young buck, acting like I'm an elder. I'm a I'm a young elder. Um, yeah, I knew I knew you couldn't say old. no. You needed the notoriety and the exposure. Yeah, I needed the street cred. Yeah, so I I got you, and then I used you to get Gabe, and then I used Gabe to get Chris, and <laughs> you know, it just didn't end up where I wanted it to end up. The goal was to get. Mr. Miyota in here, and it's it just that's a tough that's a tough one. You got to get Marcus. Marcus has access to Mr. Miyota. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you got to get Chris to get to Marcus. Maybe we'll get Marcus get at nationals. But yep. again, just again, just a reminder, guys. And I told you, I told you about these two things before, but I do want to do a podcast of just the best stories for Mr. Miyota at uh, nationals. So everybody, just sit down. It'll be a video of like, hi, this is John Hendricks. This is my favorite Roy story. I guess we'll we'll throw his first name out just because it came out naturally there. Sorry. <laughs> and then you've been saying naming names and you've been naming names left and right. I know it's it's just I'm gonna get booted off my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the next person comes on. And it's just a you know a bunch of stories put together of hi, this is Tyler Stevens. This is my favorite story about Roy. Hi, this is Gabe Isbell, my favorite story about Roy. And just put all those together. I don't care if it's three, four hours and just have that be an episode for the guy that's probably like the heart and soul for like planting seeds for growing redemption. But I also have another one like that, but I want the wildest tournament stories that people have. So be oh, thinking about so the good. the craziest tournament story or experience. It could be like hanging out after the tournament and you did something. It could be a game it could be just people you met and you did something crazy just all those stories and i think that'll make, make another episode and we'll record just random stories and put all those together after nationals so just be thinking about that have that on the membrane 
So you guys know it's coming down the pike. So you were not on when we talked about Israel's deliverance coming out. So this is actually the first time on the podcast you've been able to shout out your handiwork helping make <laughs> new starter decks. So tell us about these cards, man. Yeah, it's, uh, Israel's deliverance, or we call it in the in the Elder Street ID. Um, it was so fun to make. Those Chris and Gabe did a lot of amazing work. Chris and I went in there with some themes and some ideas and uh, came up with all sorts of crazy stuff that really shouldn't have been in a starter deck. And Gabe came in with you know a decade of experience and helped us out. But as for the new cards, uh, we dropped Abiathar and Philistine Raiders today. And of course, uh, me being a historically known Philistine defensive player, and, and a known uh, draw two player, <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even defend myself before it was said. But yeah, so apparently I'm known to put draw twos on cards. But so now we have a Philistine that draws two. So there's nothing really I can say that is a Tyler card. Um, simple draw two. Nothing crazy, generic Philistine, nice numbers, weapon class, draw two, amazing starter card in my opinion, but I will say all of them are amazing starter cards. And then Abiathar, which when I spoiled him today being uh, the the 10th of June, I did say there's going to be some questions because he is a House of Ithamar, which we haven't seen that identifier in a long time, and I'm going to be honest, we we might not see it again. That's not really a huge identifier, but it's okay. Um, I wasn't too sure. Might as well put it on there. So Abby Athar from the house of Ithamar. Ithamar. And then Tabernacle High Priest, and he is purple. Like, what is going on with these brigades, and why is he purple? But uh, I did did want to say when I spoiled him that there might be some questions, and... Uh, Mr. Tirado, uh, previous YTG, the Watchman on Discord, was talking about, yeah, why is he purple? It's essentially like that's probably the question you're referring to. And I said simply uh, for the functionality of starters to make everything balanced, it made more sense that we kind of stuck Abiathar in purple instead of clay, which is what Old Testament priests seem to be in but that Abiathar would be in purple because of not just the scripture, but what he's talking about in the Bible and where he, the kind of the story of where he's at. Uh, he could, if this was not a starter card, he would probably be clay purple. So you, you feed, you feed that line to someone else. I know what you did. You just wanted, <laughs> you just wanted the new clay priest to have a way to play impartial judgment. You take it from no, reserve, and and you get to take. play impartial. <laughs> it's all about aggressive turn one impartial judgment, even in the starter decks, man. Come on, come on, man. Every every card in the starter has to do with impartial judgment. They either draw or get to impartial judgment. <laughs> nice, nice. Don't don't believe that. That's that's a joke, people. Kind of. I'm surprised you didn't make Den of Thieves play. A card regardless of alignment, so you can play impartial judgment on defense. Oh man, I know, 
Gabe will get some slack for some cards in GOC. You should have seen what Gabe had to reel me back on, on Thieves. <laughs> Den, Den of Thieves used to just let you redirect cards outside of Idol. Oh, man. If I had my way. If I had my way. So, and that's not healthy. Um, and, and that, that was, uh, we had Jay in on playtesting. We were talking about redirect. And he kind of talked about it. And I said, you know what? I love it. Let's just redirect. That seems very <clears throat> thievesy to me. So I was trying to do way too much. And that's just me not knowing and, and getting experience. So Gabe was able to bring me back. So don't uh don't go too hard on some of these GOC cards. I was trying to do way too much as well. So we gotta we gotta find the limit and and make balanced fun cards for multiple themes that not everything has to do with impartial judgment. All right, guys. So you heard it here first. The next set's going to be full of redirect. Everything's going to interrupt <laughs> and redirect the last enhancement played this battle. Well, I was thinking they just have an identifier. It just says redirect. Oh, and redirect everything that targets this card. If this card is if this card is targeted by an opponent's ability, you may redirect that to an opponent's card. I don't even want it to be so specific. I literally just want it to say redirect. So we're no. People already don't know how to play a redirect, so let's just make it more confusing. So that you can't find the answer in the reg. Nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the reg will redirect you to something else. <laughs> yeah. All right. So error 404 or whatever it is. That's going to bring us into phase two spoilers that have come out so far. Again, we're recording this Friday night versus Sunday night, so we're losing a potential couple of days of spoilers. But I think that's worth it to get this recorded. Oh, comforting cherubs. Uh, I tried to take credit for this. Gabe did let me know. As much as I try to put draw abilities on cards, this was already there prior to uh, me joining the team. So okay. for this one, this was a... Uh, you may play a Lost Soul from a deck. And that's not... I'm sorry. The star ability is top deck a gospel hero from deck. Because usually, you may play a Lost Soul is also a star ability. So... A phenomenal star ability, phenomenal numbers, 2-2 two, two silver, maybe into an empty tomb female, which we have seen, and are, I think all of them have been spoiled. Um, or you may draw. So I really, I'm a big fan of, of ore abilities. So uh, if you have not seen that in Israel's Deliverance, and kind of a spoiler alert on a spoiler of potentially where cards will be going, I really like the ores to where they can have something that would not work first turn, but could work later on, and yep. a card kind of always works. So I think this is a great, great card to where first turn you can ban to a female, or you could draw based on redeemed souls. Um, and that is, uh, maybe maybe you don't know how we do it around here, but we talk about the fact that it is a Mono Brigade Silver Hero. That is 2-2. Two, two. It's Empty Tomb. And the X-Identifier is all players redeem souls. So you're drawing limit three, but it's all players redeem souls. So it gets to draw even if you haven't had the best game so far. So helps you out. That's how it, it comforts you in your distress. Yep. That I have no problem saying that I, I wasn't a massive fan of this card because I was like, oh, I redeem souls. Like it's not going to work. But where the game at, where the game's at right now, I mean, heck, you see what I'm doing first turn. Uh, I, I like to get a Lost Soul first turn. So if it's my turn, um, you went first and you rescued, and it's my turn, 
and I drop Son of God, I'm getting a draw two first turn. Like, it's very, very simple. Um, but the ability to get a draw three that pretty much by turn two or turn three is a consistent draw three is very good. So the testing was an experience kind of thing to see, hey, is this is this going to work as well? Is it just, if you don't have a female out, it's never going to do anything. Well, it works all the time and it's a Mono Brigade New Testament angel that does stuff. So good overall. Yeah, it seems like angels for anything that you can pinpoint and say that they're weak at, they're getting a card that's going to fix that in phase two. So potential soul gen. Oh, you need soul gen? Angel party this guy in. You're going for a soul. So, and then you get to add on extra draw on top of that. So we'll let that move us right into the next one, and that is going to be Choked Seed. And this is a brown and orange evil enhancement. The numbers are one and four. It does have an X identifier, which is the number of your placed orange cards. The star ability it's top deck a good enhancement from reserve. So there's one of those star abilities that doesn't quite help you too much on turn one. But the regular ability is you may draw X, and X is, again, the number of your placed orange card. What's the second line do? Uh, draw, draw X from bottom of deck. Like, draw X and draw X. And yes. there is no limit. There's no limit. Um. Do you want background on this? Because I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Well, well, let's just finish out the ability. Place on a hero. <laughs> prevent enhancements used by that hero. Because the the one thing about this is that it is definitely forcing you to play it in battle. It's not territory class. So there's that. But yes, we will take any background you want to give us. This used to be all orange, mono brigade, and territory class. A lot of Orange Brigade Enhancements had Territory Class on them. I was a big proponent uh, functionality of Orange, and I was really pushing for the place Enhancements to show kind of like... Um, Being afflicted. Yeah, kind of not just paralysis, but more so how possession, especially in the Gospels. And that was, that was my uh, inspiration to where a lot of demons... Not a lot, but there was there was possession talked about in the Gospels, and how do you show that in Redemption, which can be very difficult to do from scripture to function functionality to thematics without going too in depth. So for Choke Seed, used to be territory class, and used to just throw territory class cards on heroes in orange, and I could put you know two three out there by turn two or three, and it gets a draw X. And then another draw X. So you would get a top and bottom draw. One in type two, this was getting like draw six minimum very early while being mono brigade. Uh, that's a little too crazy. And I think it was John Early that talked about having dual brigade, that Brown being slow. And I was a huge proponent of Brown being slow. So as soon as I believe I'm going to give credit to John, and if it wasn't John, then John's getting the credit that Brown needs to be on here. And I made sure to, Hey, let's push that because Brown's slow. Um, and it ended up being a little too crazy. So we lost territory class. The star ability is amazing because if you look at the scripture, it actually makes sense. It's actually what Jesus is talking about. So it does top tech a good enhancement from reserve as an evil card 
I believe that's the first of its kind. So very fast card, a little too fast. So we had to make it um, in battle and then it places itself. So it doesn't win you the battle. It just draws. So, But drawing eventually wins you the battle. Just ask Matthew. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So this next card looks pretty fantastic, and it has probably the most unique star ability that I've seen. It is Beelzebub, I believe is the way that you would pronounce that. Mm-hmm. And it's Mono Brigade Demon, so orange. 11-11 are the numbers, so another big-bodied demon. It is a warrior class. Oh, and he's a king, by the way. So yep. you can grab him with, what is it, like Covenant of David, or Covenant with David grabs a king. Icky grabbed him. In high places, he yes. could exchange lost souls. So the unique star ability is discard the top card of deck and a hero. So of deck, not of a deck. So that means you're being forced to pay a cost in order to discard a hero. But you grab the star ability. At the cost of discarding your top card, you get to snipe a hero. That's pretty cool. And I do like the, the balance it forces of you having to pay a cost to do something. I kind of like that, even though the game's a costless game. You know, we've talked about it before, Tyler. I like the idea of counters that require a cost to maintain and keep oh, up yeah. established in your territory so that you're not just freely getting the benefit every turn. So really cool star ability. And then the regular ability is you may banish a placed orange card on a hero to discard that hero. So you play your choke seed last turn, it's sitting on their hero, and then you could you could pop it to get that hero on your next turn. But then it has a strong band ability where you can band to a demon, or you may take a demon from deck or reserve. And then just, you know, for kicks and giggles, he cannot be negated. So He's at least a common. I can verify that. He's at least a common. He's at least a common? Okay, yeah. well, he's he's ridiculously strong. I mean, just look at him. You can't even hold him back in the frame of the artwork. He's He's... He's coming out at you. This guy. I think John's good at doing the 3D stuff. I think Gabe does all the artwork, but John does a lot of the 3D stuff. I think that was a, a, a John call, but it looks awesome. It does look awesome. And a, another big body demon. And you've already, or, I mean, I, I guess you shared it, but someone might have shared it before you, that your defense where you were sniping people with a terrifying beast and things just gets another toy. Yep. So, how much are you looking forward to using this guy? Uh, I mean, he's he's so good. Um, and remember, I think it's Nicolaitan's teachings that takes their hero and places it on them. So you can get rid of their hero by by just taking it and then making it any brigade you want. So you can use that hero, and it's another territory class orange card. And then you can just take their hero and then block with him, Beelzebub, and banish it because that's technically a placed orange card so maybe i'm wrong i'd have to check on nicolaitans but i believe that's right and then um so he gets a cbn auto block if place cards are there and then just throw a band or take and if he's not good enough we're just gonna make him cbn and a king so yeah this guy (laughs) this guy right here i mean i don't don't know what what else you say about (laughs) Like demon, demons are getting tons of toys to play with that are going to 
I don't know. It's, it's like their cards are doing a really good job of generating additional resources. So you get a benefit from something like Choke Seed. You can draw X, then you can draw X again. Oh, and then you get to place it on the hero. <laughs> but not only are you placing on that hero, then you can block next turn with Beelzebub or any number of demons that get a benefit based on you having placed cards. So it's like they're creating additional value based on what is placed. And I, I think Orange is going to make some of the people that have started taking Chronicles of the Kings out of their deck. going to make them consider putting it right back in. Oh, absolutely. And that's a good point. And can you imagine, like, putting Choke Seed and then just playing... Like, you have Gates of Hell out, you're playing Orange. So you play jo- Choke Seed, and then you just Gates of Hell on into Beelzebub's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, don't forget you... Before you do that, you go Messenger of Satan into... You know, one of your guys that can ban king. What is it? Kings of the Earth. Oh yeah, but why even do kings? You can just do Messenger Satan, draw from the bottom, play Choke Seed, and then Gates of Hell into Beelzebub for a CBN discard, and then get a a draw, a draw, a draw. <laughs> That's what we in the business call nasty. That's nasty. So, um, let me ask you this, because I don't know offhand. I assume that they probably do count because that otherwise it might not be as easily understood by people that aren't in the know with the game and the rulings. But we've seen cards that place tokens. So we've seen cards that place tokens that are demon. So create whatever token, and then you can place those, right? I'm not imagining those. Well, there are some of those, right? Yeah, it's, uh, the that just came out. Um, but it ha- this Beelzebub specifically says placed orange card. Okay. So if it's a token, it does have to specify if it's an orange token. Okay, but tokens are going to count as quote unquote cards. Yes. So if it's a, and you're also getting me to do a ruling before a set comes out on a podcast. So yeah, well, sorry, I, I mean, sorry Gabe and Sean and Chris and Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll double check, but I mean, I just um, I just know that that's one of the things that people might have as like one of the first thoughts is do and i know that we've had things that are tokens before and obviously they're represented by cards i just don't know off the top of my head how it's defined in the reg a token if it is considered a card for something like this that counts cards in play yeah that's a tough one Um, and see now you're thinking about like if i have amos down and you have a bunch of tokens do you have board advantage or do they not count for board advantage yes they do count as well if they count for board advantage then i would assume they count as cards I would agree. So, well, sorry, Marcus, we, two, we took your job. <laughs> two possessed. So, two possessed is the one that didn't make the cut into tonight's talk, but that's to create two evil character tokens. Place each of these tokens on a human, uh, uh, on a human hero, restrict hero's controller from playing enhancements, and the token identifier says two, two, orange, male, demon. So. Beelzebub would be able to banish a orange token because that would be significant of a card. Okay, well, two possessed. That was supposed to be on here, but then we got started talking about the outline, and I forgot to paste it into the into the outline. So it was supposed to be on here. That's at ad hoc it in. Yeah, we just threw it in. That's uh, that's the podcast host not doing his job. I guess that will bring us to a lost soul, and lost souls are always fun, especially when they're strong enough to have a unity clause, because you know it's got to have a pretty good ability. So this is lost soul defiled, 
And I'm not sure what has happened in this picture, but she looks angry. She looks angry. And you're going to be angry if the opponent plays this down and you don't have a way to negate it because Defiled has unity of Lost Souls New Testament. It has an X identifier of number of good brigades on the card put in play. And then the ability, which, again, is unity. Just going to keep hammering the fact that it's unity because that's how good this is. If opponent puts a good card in play during battle, so that's enhancements, that's heroes going into battle, you may draw X. And what's the X identifier again? It's the number of good brigades on the (laughs) card put in play. So if they happen to get in a situation where they're like, all right, I'm going to come in with no and I'm going to exchange or I'm going to convert all right, then you just get ready to start drawing cards. That's bonkers on the drawability there. How fun was that to test, and how, how often did it help you hit hand limit? Yeah, there there's a, a few cards that we were able to put in that if, if you're hitting them, then they are doing their job. And it's fun with testing because testing isn't the meta. Testing isn't, it's, it's literally, hey, one, we're going to test just what we're, doing GOC and then we're going to start going from there and implementing more cards so if you come in and you have that many brigades and you have a lot of cards out that hit you for brigades and you're just popping off everywhere you're huge so um, when we're testing in GOC and a lot of people are sticking to one or two brigades on offense it's not a big deal so it's going to be very interesting to see cards like Defiled and Matthew that do shape the meta because in testing you play orange you play orange uh herod's just play herod you know you're you're gold so matthew might only draw a couple but in in actual meta play defiled and matthew might draw a ton at the beginning and then the meta starts shaping so testing showed a lot of different things to be honest yeah i guess that thought kind of falls in line with something that i believe to be the case is that you guys make cards and you might think that they're good, but they're not good until players prove that they're good or bad or, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the way that they're played in quote unquote relevant tournament games and things of that nature decide whether they're too much, whether they're not enough, that thing. So I do foresee that forcing some people to really strongly consider whether unity new Testament souls is worth it. I, I think it was Josh, national champ for type one, two player last year. He was like, fine, I guess I'll play this and undesirables. I guess oh, yeah. I'll play new Testament. You guys got me. So yep. he has salty, he, un, salty, undesirables and defiled. Ooh. Yeah. I guess that brings us to the final spoiler here. And I'll let you have at this one, Tyler. Yeah. Angel appears. This one went through a couple of renditions. It's real fun. So, uh, 2-3 in its territory class, silver, white, star ability, top deck, a New Testament artifact from reserve, uh, which is better than people think. I don't think I've seen that much of the star abilities, star abilities actually hitting, um, but New Testament ar- top decking a New Testament artifact from reserve is really nice. Uh, you may play a gospel angel from, from reserve. And then it's or deck if opponent has hand advantage. And then hero may ban to an angel. So you get the play. Pulling out the gospel angel is nice because this is silver white. Silver white has so many consistency pieces. Being 
being constricted to gospel angels is a lot better in my opinion. And then playing a gospel angel from reserve. This is honestly a complaint that's really happened uh, a lot from the community. I'll say for territory class cards, angel appears for turn one territory class cards. Territory class cards can do a lot. Angel appears only plays a gospel angel from reserve or deck if opponent has hand advantage. So for turn one, you have to manipulate that. So there's at least some sort of, if it's their turn first, this might not work um, stipulation. So there's that built in, and then it still has a hero may ban to an angel. So you get to search an angel, ban to an angel, uh, thematic and functionality. So pretty cool card overall. Yeah, so... That, that is keeping with the nativity theme that you guys said. You know, we haven't seen all of the cards, I don't think, or we saw a bunch of them. I don't, I don't remember at this point. I'm just ready for phase Most. two to get here. But yeah. you want to have fewer cards in hand than your opponent. So if you're working that deck that way, more than likely you're going to get a chance to use this turn one because if it's in your opening hand, you drop an angel and then you play it if you want. But what's going to be yeah. really interesting is when you go – they think they've got the soul drought in, in tow, and you come out with your comforting cherubs if you want, or just a low angel to get you initiative. But this one, you could play a lost soul from their deck, ruin their their uh, soul drought, and then you can play an angel appears with initiative, go in and play that gospel angel, and you can go and get, if I'm not mistaken, Gabriel still snipes that evil card from their deck, so you could turn around, turn them from soul drought, to banding to Gabriel, sniping an evil card in their deck, and grabbing a soul where they thought they had soldier out that turn. And that's basically a two-card combo there, depending on what else they have in hand to stop you. And and a lot of these spoilers are talked about from a competitive level. Can you imagine just sealed and booster? Yeah. Like this card and booster, a band ability and booster is already good. And Hero but, may ban to an angel. It doesn't even have to be your angel. Yep. So, nope. but I like when we see spoilers and, you know, it doesn't happen very often because I'm not as prepared as I should be probably. But when you can like link, this card goes with that one really well and that, you know, to where you can, okay, I can do these and then I can get Gabriel Sniper evil card from your deck. That's, that's all, always fun when you can start seeing potential ways that you can play these cards before you get your mm-hmm. hands on them. Yep. They start linking. Yes. So I guess that will wrap up the spoilers. And that will bring us into our main conversation, which, again, is going to be revolving around how you can pilot your deck through the tournament season and get it ready to where you feel confident when the national tournament arrives. So you invest all the resources to go to nationals. You want to do well. Well, how can you take a deck that you think is good and make sure that it's in the best state that it can be in order to do well at nationals. And I think if I were to assess the community, I think, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, is that you don't see a lot of bad decks anymore. You see decks that are you know, better than others, but to see a deck and just be like, that's an awful deck, you don't see that very often anymore. And I think players are really good. They're almost like architects. They're really good at building the house. But then after you've got the house built – and you live there a little bit, you played it a little bit. Now comes time for some renovations. How do you keep that 
up to maintain the appeal of that deck and what are, you know, the appeal of that house in this analogy. But how do you keep fine tuning that to make sure that it's top of the market, top of the level, top tier tournament deck? So how much over the course of the season do you think a deck changes from that first build into the final list that you settle on for nationals? I would hope that your first build, by the time you take your first build to nationals, that there's about 15 cards that are the same. <laughs> and pretty much it's seven seven souls, a hopper, and dominance. I hope your deck pretty much changes entirely uh, from the start of season to nationals. And I, I am only slightly joking in that sense. Um, I do want to think as if the average player, instead of just someone with a lot of experience, will go in and be able to see, all right, well, this is clearly better than uh, other themes or this brigade has advantages here. I'm going to play this on offense, this on defense, whatever. Uh, The average player should get as much uh, just exposure to as many themes as they can. So their deck should change immensely from the beginning to season all the way up to nationals. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, seasoned players being able to kind of look at things and tell and know things. That reminds me of like every time I come up with a cool idea and I like run it by my buddy John, John Early, and he's like, oh, you haven't built that yet? And he's like <laughs> already played it or, or thought about it and he's off of it now as an idea. And it's like, yep. ah, okay. And then you realize how far behind like the the curve you are, you know, chasing chasing the elite players that have the mind for the game to be able to project this list through a tournament season and what it's going to look like and what the meta is going to look like by the time nationals get here. Like, I'm sure that you already have an idea of what you expect nationals to look like as far as the field. And we're still having state tournaments happen and regional tournaments. Yeah, I, th- I think I have a good grasp on what, when you say nationals, what the field is going to be, you're talking, in my opinion, you're talking type one. When you say that question to me, I take it as I feel like I have a good grasp on what players, not themes, but what their actual decks offensively and defensively are going to be. Uh, for about six players in type two, about 15 to 20 players in type one, and what should be drafted in GOC. So when you say what should be played at nationals, it's it's different uh, perspectives, which is just what you were talking about with John. Like when you play John, he's like, oh yeah, I, I played that. He might not have played that because he thought it was great. He might have built it and constructed it because he knows he's going to see it at nationals. So yes, I think I know uh, the the categories that either I'm going to judge or play in. What the, in my opinion, the meta and majority, uh, what I'm going to see. All right. So as far as forecasting what you might see, how how much time and play do you put into a deck, like a singular deck? you know, strategy, theme, however you define this is the deck. And obviously you'll make changes because you said most most of the deck is going to go through changes throughout the season. How do you settle on this is the deck that I'm 
wanting to play at nationals and how much play goes into that deck or how much do you play that deck before you say this is the one how much play directly correlates to me deciding ultimately what i'm going to play and we'll get into more uh, examples in a little but if i think i'm going to play x deck whatever at nationals if it's a secret uh, then I need I need to goldfish that deck. I'm not joking. At least a hundred times, and I need to, when goldfish just means I go through uh, not just lackey, but that I shuffle because lackey shuffling and human shuffling are two different things. So I need to shuffle and goldfish my deck. Say it again for the ones in the back. Yeah, shuffling and lackey, and shuffling in person are two completely different things. Look, you know, you- sidebar, not to not to cut you off here, but sidebar, I think Lackey is one of the single most... Well, obviously the reserve rule hurts Exiles, but we know Exile still has merit as a lost soul. I think... Yep, not in Lackey. <laughs> I think Lackey, giving it to you turn one just about every time you run it, is the yep. reason that it has no chance to see play with the majority of players. Because it's just, yep. it puts a bad taste in your mouth, and you're like, nope, not going to have it happen. And then if you're, you know, my buddy Jonathan Gomez, it happens to you in a tournament. So, hey. Yes. So fun. So, yeah, as for, um, you got to prepare yourself at all levels and know what your normal draws are uh, in, in sleeves, shuffled up, everything like that. So, how much should you play a deck before settling on it? If I play a deck 100 times before an before a state tournament and I get whooped at state, does that mean I give up on the deck or do I, do I change? Uh, John early actually posted his covenant with death deck prior to, and if you take the two deck lists, they're very similar. He wasn't doing too well. And I think he actually, I'm not going to say he didn't rank at states, but I don't think he did too hot at Minnesota State back in the day with the deck that not dominated, but pretty close to dominated type one with an extremely high pool of players uh, competitively. And that was a covenant with death. He played that deck over and over and over and, and lost at state. And so that deck was from 2018, correct? Or is yeah, I believe that was 2018. It'd either be 18 or 19. I think it's 18. We don't have Jay on, but I believe it's 18. I want to say, so what won in 2019? That was when he did the first turn mayhem. That was, was that hashtag mayhem? Yes, I think so. I think it was 2018. I just wanted to make sure listeners were aware that you can go and find those deck lists on the cactus boards and look at those if you want to compare because I, I think it's a good point when you mentioned that those lists didn't change that much, but you could go and look and see how it did change, and knowing that one of them didn't come with very good results, and then one of them won nationals. Yep. So, and to, and to tie it all back, how much should you play a deck before settling on it as the one you'll play at nationals? If you play your deck over and over and over in tournaments against high-caliber players, that's another thing play it against people that are better than you, you are automatically at an advantage. But if I play my deck against people that are new to the game, 
and I'm a hundred and oh, like I am on my channel. You know, I'm undefeated on my channel. There we go. That doesn't mean I'm any good. Hey, I just have to throw that in there. <laughs> that that doesn't help me at all because I'm not playing anyone. So how much should you play a deck before settling? You okay, and I told you this prior to. You should be able to not look at Lackey and not look at your deck constructed like how it is in sleeves. You should be able to put that aside and I should be able to give you a paper and say, write your deck. I want you to write your deck, 50 car- 56, whatever, 57, or if it's me on my channel, 53, because I'm testing, right? Or uh, I want your 50 card deck and I want your 10 card reserve. If you are going to go to nationals and you cannot write out your deck list, then you have not played your deck enough. That's kind of what, that's the uh, simple answer. You're, you're shaming me because I'll have the, the reserve list and still struggle to find the 10th card for my reserve after a game at a tournament. <laughs> I'm like, what was in here? Let me look at the list. I've got them all. <laughs> oh, not that one. Oh, okay. That doesn't go in my deck. Got it. <laughs> all right. Well, let me ask you this. So, even if you don't play a ton before you settle on that deck as na- as your Nationals deck, the one that is your Nationals deck, you need to play to where you know it frontwards, backwards, every line of play that it has, every situation that it can overcome, and every situation that you know is a weakness for your deck to where you know that, all right, probably not going to win this game if I don't fix that within the next turn or so in a game, that type of thing. How do you decide what changes to make? I'll say the... Simple answer, the one that comes to me the quickest, is by losing. Um, but there's times where people won states and regionals. They went undefeated or maybe a little, they lost a game and then they go to Nats. How do you decide, how do you change cards in your deck if you're winning? Um, and then you have to see what were people playing? What did I struggle? Were there misplays of other players that I capitalized on that I shouldn't have? Were there cards that I feel like should have been in my deck that were in my reserve or vice versa? So how do I decide what changes to make? Usually that's by losing, but also um, I think we're getting to a point in Redemption to where some decks just lose to other other decks if they're built... um, quote-unquote, as a foundation. Like, if you just take Disciples and you don't think outside the box and you only have, like, three battle winners, then you're going to lose to a D-heavy deck. So when I decide what changes to make, I want to think, even if I won every game, well, how did I win? I want to make sure I got that. Did I get lucky? Was there... um, drawing that I did was there something that I got the opponent missed so how do I decide short answer losing making edits is probably the simplest answer and let's say you win then that comes down to what was I missing or what did I feel like I just got lucky with stuff like that do you have any um do you have any advice on how to toe that line between okay i lost now i'm overthinking things just because you said inherently there's some decks that just you're going to match up with that on a foundational principle are generally just going to be difficult for you to win 
no matter how your decks yeah. go. Do you do you overthink that when you lose games and it's a game that yeah you lose to that deck, but then how do you compartmentalize that and not overthink it to where I change too much to where now I'm changing the integrity of the deck even though the deck might have been okay and just had that one bad matchup that is you know sticking with me because it kept me from placing at a tournament. Uh, this this story breaks my heart. Um, I'll I'll say it real quick. Uh, Jay constantly reminds me that his record in Type 2 against me, that he's undefeated. He beats me in Type 2. We've never played at Nationals, but he's beat me in Type 2. I had to throw that in there. But um, he's always... I'm, I'm a big Philistine player, and he's always been a big judges player. Auto Sam Edict crushes Philistines. And I had, at one point, I had a... Um, it was a new New Beginning Reset deck that I got second place with back in the day in type two. And I had a um, angel under the oak, uh, angel with the secret name, angel with the winds, cloud Moses with a few other heroes and all the cloud enhancements. And then I would able to just go out with a prophet as well. And I hidden treasures new beginning. And then I would attack you with a Moses with a battle winner. Um, the deck was undefeated pretty much all year. I think Jay beat it because I read, I did a reset and he just did auto Samuel auto edict and I had Philistines and I think he whooped me. Um, and I started thinking way too hard and I demolished that deck the night before, like I was at nationals venue and I didn't play it. Uh, I ended up playing something else and I don't even think I got like top 10 out of like 20 something people, 30 people, you know, like I did bad. Don't overthink. That would be a spotlight for our buddy John to say, don't build a new deck the night before a category. I've also won and ranked at a high level at Nats winning the night before. But yes, John is right. That takes a lot of experience to do that. Don't do it. The more games you play with your deck, the better you'll do. Uh, I forgot, and type two, I, I forgot his name, I'm sorry, he, he went off to college, he was playing uh, White Brown, he's from Minnesota, and he got second place at type two Nats, and he beat some of the better players, and it was not just, but it was just a music leader brown deck, White Brown, music leader deck. He won, uh, or he got second place. And he knew his deck. So if you know your deck, you already have an advantage on other people. Are you the one? I remember someone saying this, and I feel like it was you, but I don't want to attribute this to you. But a player that knows their deck and has a bad deck can potentially and generally overall does better than a player with a good deck that doesn't know the deck. Something like that. Nathan Leverson's his name, and yes, you're right. I have said that numerous times that a player who knows their deck is and, and has a worse deck is better than a good player that doesn't know their deck. And all that is just knowing the nuances and the lines of play for given situations, right? Yep, absolutely. All right, so let me let me hit you with this big thing because it's something that we hear talked about all the time with competitive card games define the role that the meta 
plays and how you prepare your deck for nationals. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Loaded can there. Oh, so and I, I touched on this in a video that I did, which what does the meta mean? Does the meta mean because the definition of meta changes to person to person? I could think the meta in type one is hyper Matthew Simon spam impartial judgment turn one turn two uh, Jeremiah spam David Hart after God like there's a few attacks and decks that I think are the meta other people can think differently does that mean I'm right or wrong it's all about perspective one two is the meta the best decks or is the meta the most played decks and i go back to 2018 i believe with flood to where three of the top eight type one players were flood decks you're about to do it aren't you oh man this is this is that argument that you and jay get into (laughs) and jay gets into this with everyone he's like flood was the best deck but it can't win because the best deck doesn't win because everybody knows it and they play for it Yep, and so, and so you already answered it though. Yeah, so there you go. Because and, and I get that because or what I'm saying that you already answered it is Jay argues with everyone about flood, meaning Jay's the only person that thinks flood's good. <laughs> so so with with the meta, is it is it what's being played the most? And I'm just joking. Flood's great. I always say Flood's better in Jay's hand than it is in others. And that goes back to the other point. Jay could write his deck out. He could tell you, yeah, in 2018, I played this Flood. 2019, I played this one. This is what I'm playing now. He could write his Flood deck. And he tells you what it's good against and what it's not. So Jay with Flood is different than others. But the meta, to get back on point, the meta is different based on perspective is it most played or is it the best and i think it's both um so how does the meta play in how you prepare your deck for nationals i will say the times that people won with niche specific decks john early josiah beer comes to mind uh and type one Gabe in type two, one with Zebulon and Speed Camp. Um, I won with a board control. There's been when Josiah won with hand control. All of those players knew the meta. If you know the meta right now, no one's playing the cross. Do you play Speak the cross? Speak for yourself. Hey, so that's knowing the meta. If it's not being played. I'm not playing it, but whatever deck that I end up playing, it's going in there. So I haven't been playing it because it's not necessary to play it, but I'm big on the cross. I think it's, it's very important. It's so good. I was just talking to Derek Torado because I was talking about um, some ideas I had for my channel later on and blood and fire, uh, his modified deck. And he is playing Lost Souls that I'm not seeing other people do. And he's doing, he's playing Thorns Lost Soul and Orphans. Orphans, I see a little bit of. Thorns, nope. And I asked him, I said, interesting Lost Soul choice, why? He said, because everything I'm seeing from a defensive standpoint 
people are exchanging and protecting lost souls. That is knowing the meta to where, and once again, knowing your deck. Or Derek has, yep, exactly. Derek has played Blood and Fire, all, and he's top cut. He got second last year. Yep. He got second last year. He's top cut twice. He's been to three nationals. He has played Blood and Fire three years. He knows his deck and he knows the meta. So how much does the meta play into how you prepare your deck? It should be one of your biggest factors into what you tech your deck for. If you don't have anything for a comeback on Matthew, and we'll go the the video that you talked about with uh, Redemption with Jaden versus Rob. Jaden won against Rob, and watching that video, he hit Rob's Matthew with a herdsman, bro, and he got a draw. Bro, you're not supposed to tell him how it ends because we're trying to force people to go and watch it. That was turn one, my man. I know, but <laughs> oh, you said you said he won. Call him winner. Hey, it was an emotional victory. Oh man! All right. Well, sorry, Jaden. We we took away a few views, but that was a very smart play to get get herdsman in there, and it's like. I, I'm 95% sure in that game, Rob knew it was coming. But there, like his deck just didn't have a way to stop it at that moment. So, so. Jaden knew the meta. Yeah. More or less, yep. Yeah. yeah. So when you talk about knowing the meta and how important it is now. So we've established how important it is to know what is being played, whether you're choosing to say that the meta is the best decks that are available across the – you know, player base that you'll see in the field, or it's the more popular ones. How do you find that information out? Do you find it just from playing, or do you find it from everything that we've got going on? Like, I think when I compare when I started in 2019, I didn't know what anybody was playing at any point. Um, I showed up to play Jay, found out he was a flood player. The next time we played a tournament, I knew to expect flood. And then he didn't even play Flood then. So he threw me for a loop. Yep. And that's just on a, on a local basis. But, like, there was no, like, idea. It was just every card is available. And this is before rotation, obviously. And it's like anything could be in the deck sitting across the table from you. And I think yeah. that evolved to last year. We had more things shared. But then Love at First Sight happened. And then most people were just talking about teching for that. So it was like, are you playing combo? Are you playing counter? And whatnot. But then you take it to this year. Now we've got the Lackey Grand Prix, the Zoom Invitational. You've got people sharing deck lists. You've got just so much transfer of information that I haven't played since the Tennessee State Tournament. And I think I am up to date on everything that I would consider is meta relevant at this moment. Like if I were to sit down and play a game, I would see a couple of cards and expect what the next line of play is from someone. And it's because there's so many resources available. How different is it in a world that has that? Because you played back when you didn't have resources like that. How much easier is it now to nail down what the meta is and know how to tech for certain things? Uh, it's, I think it's awesome. And I, and the only reason I spoiled Jaden's video is so people would watch my channel and not his. But the uh, I'm just kidding. Jaden's is awesome. The last last week you touched on this a lot with Mark, and it was awesome to hear someone that came back after ten years and talk about this. The amount of resources are amazing. Like Jaden literally put his deck out there with Affinitab, and then showed it on his channel. And even if he wasn't playing, it was still on his channel. Like it was, it's awesome. 
um, I've been asked before, like, hey, is there anything that you keep to yourself? Like, do you just, you got to have something up your sleeve. Like, you just show everything. Like, I don't know. I feel like Jaden and I, like, Jaden showed the first combo. Jaden showed uh, the Widow combo. It's it's insane, the resources. Even just content to get you plugged in, well, involved. Do what? Don't, don't forget he also showed running that what was it 70 card first of all he did it with a hundred card against a manual one with a cross one. and then yep. i think it was a hundred and then he ran like 67 or some random number against matt in the uh top cut of the grand prix <laughs> and one with the one cross, with the cross. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. he's he's showing everything even if like you can't say that that's a highly competitive deck over the course of a long tournament like nationals is going to be, but just like, Hey guys, this is possible. <laughs> and it's, yep. Yeah. And I also think, There's... I also think that, um, Jaden is probably deserves the most credit for all of the, the amount of content because he's been so consistent with putting it out for over a year now, over a year. And, yep. and like, I know it helped inspire me to want to do something, and and just seeing all of the the effort he put into that, and that, I think it's pretty cool. And just just give him some props there. So plug, go check out Redemption with Jaden. Oh yeah, because I I started just showing decks, and I was like, he's he's playing full games. I just want to do quick like deck breakdowns, but he he put it on the map. And the fact that people are like, if you look at his views and my views and podcast views and listens and uh. Rob M's throwing stuff out there and we have articles coming up. There is, and, and this also goes back to your point that you made earlier. There's no such thing as a bad deck. And I really do think that's because you can just hop on. And Mark came on your podcast last week and said, I typed in redemption podcast and you showed up or I typed in redemption and a podcast showed up that you did. Yeah. And called and me was a like, Yahoo. No he called, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not forget the fact that he called me a Yahoo. Mark, those are fighting words. That's in, a that's a New, that's a New York insult, I guess. Yeah, we use Google down here. So <laughs> it there's so many resources where I've always been the type to share, um, and I do think that the more you share, the more other people share, and there's just deck lists and screenshots and videos and commentary and i mean uh, hats off to jay uh hats off to chris chris did uh zoom invitationals really when no tournaments were happening at all chris did he talked to uh gabe or uh, gabe and rob and did zoom invitationals uh jay started doing grand prix so now we're in grand prix four josh is running up jay was a little busy Passing the torch, though, because you've already set the template out. Exactly. And now we have 16 participants in the fourth run. And look at the gameplay. Yeah. Crazy. So resources all over the place. One of your uh, major points about Lathis last year, Lathis came out so late. And why did it come out late? Probably because there wasn't that many resources last year. There was really just like Redemption with Jaden was getting going. And everyone was kind of like hopping in Discord. But look at the amount of new members this year compared to last. Oh, and absolutely. Look at what we're yep. Trending upwards, projecting upwards as a game, 
players, content, everything. Lathis was an asterisk nationals, not to take away from Josh, which also goes back to defining and knowing the meta because he knew what Lathis was and to play a deck that went A, around Lathis, and B, uh, against others. So you put all these points together, but you take all the resources. Lathis came out late, but you have all these resources now to where stuff like uh, the first combo and Widow Sun aren't even seeing play anymore because of how long they came came out. Um, I lost Tennessee State because Jeremy played Widow combo in his Angel Party deck. So then you have you have to you have to know the meta. <laughs> sorry, sorry if you were keeping that close to the vest there, Jeremy. But like he comes out with basically a mirror deck because I was using like Rob gave me his list that he had for disciple party or what, whatever you want to call it. It's got three disciples and it's got angels and all the angels that tutor them, but has the twenty four elder you know band in it. And I'm sitting yeah. down playing with Jeremy, and it seems like we're balanced. And then on his second turn, he just goes wild and basically decks out. And yep. he put so many resources down that the only chance I had was to go back in time and put a new beginning and, you know, some way to bounce my heroes and just have Noah down or, you know, hit reset on it. Yeah. So resources helping you find out what the meta is and, and know those – but it still comes down to playing the games in a tournament setting. So when you go to a state tournament, what's the big picture? What role does the state tournament have towards trying to be competitive and top cut? Or, I mean, we don't have top cut at nationals this year, but trying to be in the running for winning. Let's just stick with type one, two player at nationals. I know it sounds crazy, but my goal at a state tournament is not to win. If, if I lose, I learn something. If I win, it's very difficult to learn, which is why we kind of talked about earlier, like how do you decide what changes to make? It's very hard to make changes when you keep winning. So what would you hope to accomplish at a state tournament to, to make my deck better? Win or lose, more than likely my deck will become much better if I lose at a state tournament. I'll go back when uh, I was recently new to nationals or to uh type two yep actually it was my first full year in type two and i was going up against some of the top type two players um and i finally separated myself to where i felt like i became the top type two player in our region which was extremely competitive we we, the Southeast group, went to East Central Regionals, uh, Darcy Abbott. We went to DJ's tournament, and which there's probably like three people that listen to the podcast that know who Darcy is. But um, shout out to Chris, Gabe, and John. But we went to uh, DJ's Regional in North Carolina, and I was undefeated in Type 2 all year. and. Um, it was kind of like me and Eric and a couple others versus Darcy and his, his like protege. And I was Eric's protege and the dude whooped me. He beat me so bad and I hadn't lost a game in type two all year. And he showed me 
a deck that was better than mine that crushed me. Um, I then modified my deck after a state tournament. After Well, after I won a state, I lost regionals, and I went to nationals. And I honestly not copied his deck, but I took his offensive deck concept with my defense, merged them because I thought my defense was better. His offense was better. I merged the two and I ranked in my very first nationals ever in type two. So I hope to accomplish at a state tournament. I hope that my deck becomes better. And that's probably because I lost. That same thing applies to regional tournaments or do you, if you lose and you change things with your deck from a state tournament, are you looking to be competitive and win that regional just to, you know, solidify and, and make sure that in your mind you made the right changes or how do you approach the regional if you've lost and made changes at a state tournament? Yeah, good question. Um, and once again, I guess it comes down to perspective. If if people are newer and it's their first state and regional, they have a very competitive state and regional, it's a big deal to win states and regionals. For me, states and regionals, I'm going to be honest, I've gotten horrible rankings in state and regionals and then ranked at nationals because, and, and this is a Brian Jones thing who missed your second place in type one, phenomenal player. I, I don't I don't say that out of jest. I say that because he's gotten second place and he's top cut so much in uh in type ones he'll do horrible at states and regionals he doesn't care he doesn't care if he gets last place he will tune his he'll take out his misplays he will look at what he did what did i do wrong for me the same way um i lose at states i go to regionals what I need to improve from states to regionals. I can still lose at regionals and I can win at nationals. I know we love to do sports references on here. A wild card team can win the World Series, the Super Bowl, whatever. Eli Manning against Tom Brady. The a wild card team can win the title. And what I mean is you don't need to win a regionals to win nationals. Look at the top RNRS guys. They usually aren't always the uh, state regional winners. So, or usually the RNRS guys are not the, uh, I'm sorry, the RNRS people are not the winners at nationals. So I can lose a state, I can lose a regional as long as I'm learning and improving on my deck and skill, then it's a win in my book. All right. So let me ask you final question before we move on to a little bit more of the ins and outs of the day of the tournament at nationals. What is the best piece of advice you can give someone that's still struggling to settle on what to play at nationals? So I've tinkered with this deck, tinkered with that one. What would you tell me to figure out what I'm going to play at nationals? So one of two things, do you, if, if this question is to me as, Hey, you expect, like, do you expect to win? Are you expecting to be competitive? Are you trying to be top 15, top eight? top five like what are what are your expectations first so think about what your real is realistic expectations are for nationals and don't undercut yourself you know always go for the top and then so that's one piece of advice is set expectations to push yourself that's that's the point that goes back to state and regionals push yourself at every level push yourself um 
And then if I'm struggling on what to settle on, I am notorious for playing the wrong decks. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm notorious on playing the wrong decks. Play something, which all ties into what we talked about. Play the deck you are most confident in. Even if you don't think that's the best, the deck that you're most confident in, that you know you will do better than a deck that you don't know. Know your deck, know what it can do, know what it loses against. So that comes back to the old fishing analogy I gave a while back on the podcast. They always talk about a fisherman in a certain type of lure or bait having confidence. Well, I haven't caught big fish on this one lately, so I don't really have confidence in this crankbait. So then you, you know, put on a whopper plopper. Yep. Just to talk over the head of, of people that don't understand what that is, but just finding what you're comfortable with, what you feel that you have the best chance to land that big fish with, what you have the best chance in your mind to do well in. Try your best to not overthink. Once you get to the tournament, do your thinking before the tournament, through the tournament season, because building the deck the night before, the reason that doesn't work for people that aren't good players just naturally because they played for so long is because you don't know the cards as well and you get out of your element and you lose that comfort zone that you operate in when you know a deck. And you forget what's in your deck and what happens when you go to search. Oh, is that in my deck or is that in my reserve? Oh, I, I just misplayed because I searched my deck and the card isn't there. It was actually, there was another target in my reserve, but I didn't know my deck. So you've got to know your deck. Also, it comes like I said, it comes back to expectations. Like you were talking, what are your expectations for going to Nats? Are you just going to have fun, which is honestly what it should be, but there's, there's competitiveness in this. I get it, the competitive nature. Um, if you are going to be competitive, are you going to win? And if you are going to win, have you beaten other top players? Because if you haven't beaten other top players, you need to check your expectations and you need to change your deck because you haven't beaten top players and you're expecting to win. If you're going for fun, you're already won. You already won. Go community, in my opinion, best community I've ever been a part of. Three, four days nonstop, just laughs and good conversation. So what do you want to accomplish at nationals? And that should cater how much you're playing, the time investment, because I eat, sleep and breathe redemption. If you're not trying to win nationals or if you're trying to win nationals, but you're not taking the the time that I do, then don't be upset with yourself that you didn't win. Cause I put in, uh, I'm going to be honest. There's weeks where I put in a full-time job into redemption um whether that's designing cards uh making decks putting videos out there whatever it may be um i put in 40 hours a week at times i'm not exaggerating if you don't do that then don't expect to win it goes back to sports or anything uh band i don't care don't expect to be better than someone if they put in literally two three times more the time than you do so Know your expectations and put the time in for what matters. So I, I rambled. You let me you let me ramble, John. Yeah, I did well, it. So. This is Tyler Talks and Rambles podcast edition. But that phrase sweetly summed up in the sports world is hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. There it is. All right. So we've 
talked about your deck and kind of the transformation it takes over the tournament season. So now let me ask you, the day our Nationals has arrived, and what advice do you have for players on how to navigate the longer tournament day at Nationals versus what they've experienced at local tournaments, regional tournaments, state tournaments, that thing? Because Nationals last year ended up going seven rounds, and that's the most rounds I've ever played in a tournament. So it's kind of an adjustment. Like, you're three rounds in, you're like, are we are we getting close? No, we're we're not even like we're coming up on halfway. What advice do you have for players to prepare for the long day and what you might see round to round? Yeah, so and this this kind of comes back to states and regionals. Like you go to states, you play three four rounds. You go to regionals, you play four five four five rounds. You go to state or you go to nationals, you play seven eight rounds. You you start building the grind, but um, navigating long tournament days at nationals all. I'm going to tie all this together. Expectations. What are your expectations? Are you trying to win? And if you're trying to win, as I've gotten older and played more at nationals, my expectations uh, became, I want to win first place in all three categories I play in order to do any, in order to win any category, you have to, honestly, you have to, have adequate adequate sleep. Your mental game needs to be sharp. Um, Fifteen Mountain Dews probably won't do it. Uh, so make sure you you get the right sleep and be sharp because it's a mental game. And if you aren't there mentally, then you're you're gonna lose when you're playing. So navigating longer tournaments. Uh, Take away the other distractions, whether it's uh, phone related, emotional, and we'll get into more of like losing and winning in a second, but take away other distractions um, and really make sure that you are ready to play at the level that you're supposed to be. Give yourself a a, a pep talk. And go over mistakes you normally do. I tend to play a little fast. I call it handsy. I tend to play a little fast when I'm uh, when I draw in battles, and I'll play a lost soul, and then I'll play the next card, and I'll forget my soul ability. So before I go into ter- uh, big tournaments, I'll tell myself order of activation. I'll review in the REG the order of activation. And I'll review, hey, in my head, don't forget Lost Souls. Don't forget Star Abilities. Don't forget Upkeep, whatever it is. Have a game plan. What do you miss? Uh, what do you miss playing? Go over it. So that's that's my advice. Make yourself a better player mentally. Okay. So you said that you need to be mentally sharp. What What's the worst that can happen if you're not mentally sharp? Say you, you do drink those 15 Mountain Dews or whatever it is, and you are up hanging out the night before and you don't get adequate sleep. Maybe you don't even sleep at all. What's how does what's the negative impact on your play and your ability to be competitive? And and there's players, I mean I I said don't drink 15 Mountain Dew, so you're probably going to get a negative review on this podcast. But um if if you are not mentally sharp and some people will be like, "Oh, I've been to plenty of nationals." Well, have you tried to, are you going to win? Once again, expectations. Are you going to win nationals? Is that your mindset? 
Um, or is this your first nationals? And if it's one of the two, either winning or my first, if, if you are not mentally sharp, you are go, I guarantee you, you are going to make misplays and your gameplay needs to be sharper at the end of the day than at the beginning. I know everything matters, but at the end of the day, if you're winning and, you know, it, towards the end of the day, as you continue to win, you play the other people who have one more. Um, that is when you cannot make misplays. There was a tournament uh, 2018 or 19. Um, I, I won type two. But prior to that, in order to really secure my title without, it doesn't matter what anyone else did. If I had a big win, then I was going to uh, win type two no matter what. Uh, and in type one, there was also John Early that had to also have like guarantee a win. So it was one of the last round. It was the last round. And I won uh, seven to one or seven to zero. Like I won one. Um, I was sharper at the end of the day. There was no misplays. I didn't miss any triggers. If I was tired and missed sleep and wasn't thinking and I was distracted, and I had a seven to four or seven to five, I I don't think I would have won a title that day. Like it was that close. So that's kind of what it comes down to is prepping yourself and knowing what you're getting into prior to. Make make sure you're in the right mindset and it is going to be a grind and know it's going to be a grind. So get ready for it. All right. Let me, let me ask you this. So if you were to... Whether you've prepared and you've been mentally sharp, you're whether you've done the night before and the day before getting ready, no matter how you what kind of shape you got into that chair in, every now and then there's just something goes wrong. You have a bad matchup. They have the opening hand that's just the best opening hand their deck can provide, and you have the worst. You brick hand. Uh, you miss a trigger. You, um, you know. One of the things Jaden talks about all the time is at one point he mayhemed into rain becomes dust against his brother and he let that affect him the rest of the tournament. How do you, across a long tournament like that, how do you not let a bad break in a game carry over into multiple rounds later? Like, is that just, do you think that's something that's just going to come with time? Or do you think, like, first-time players, like, is there any advice to help them not carry a negative experience from one game into the next one so they can do better throughout the day even if the game the day doesn't start well so yeah it comes down to don't come into the game with a losing mindset and this does not need to be this can go to any player level um i i've been there before where i had josiah beers on the absolute ropes and he covenant a prayer into literally the one card he had in his reserve for this one specific instance. And it whooped me. Um, And it went from a four to one lead in my favor where I was literally like, oh, I'm going to get Son of God second coming and rescue one more. And I'm going to beat Josiah seven, one, seven and two to where he completely shifted. And I lost seven, three because the old falling away. I didn't rescue a single other lost soul. How do I go into the next game 
and just switch my mindset and not think about that. And really what you have to think is how many players have won that have went undefeated? Yes, absolutely. It's happened. Um, how many players, I will say more players have won in all categories, losing a game. No, just understand that, hey, I'm going to lose a game. Shake it off. Don't even, th- the only thing I want you to think about when you lose a game, hey, why did I lose that? Was it something I did? Keep that in my mind. Did I miss a trigger? Did um, did I let the opponent take something back? Did I block with something incorrectly? Uh, was I not aggressive? Was I too aggressive? Soul gen, whatever it is, keep that in mind. Other than that, forget about it. It's one game. You lose a game, move on. Even two games. I've ranked at nationals losing two two rounds. Play play to what you can. That's all you can do. You everything that's already happened, it's done. You can't you can't control it. So I know it's tough to just say forget about it, but you have to have that mental edge. To where if a game is over, it is over. Learn from it and move on. Just like we talked about states and regionals. Learn and move. From nationals round to round, you need to have a mental edge of, okay, what was that player doing? What was I doing? Did I do anything wrong? Did I win? Did I lose? Whatever. Off to the next round. So that's all That's all I got about that. All right. I guess... Let me ask you this, and I think this is this is getting toward the end. We'll, we'll get ready to wrap up here shortly. What are your thoughts? Because I think a lot of the top players have differing opinions on this, but what are your thoughts on checking in multiple decks at Nationals, being that our game allows you to play multiple copies of a deck or completely different decks? What are your thoughts and have you have you done it and do you recommend it do you not recommend it give us the shakedown yeah there's a lot there i'll try to be quick i come from the game where uh Heyman's plots were allowed and uh all that cra- craziness so it gives you got to be careful if you come in with different decks you will you will second guess yourself i should play this i shouldn't play this uh I played this and I lost. I should have played this. I personally don't think coming in with two decks, I've done it. I do not think coming in with two decks that are completely different is the right choice. Maybe like slightly different offense, but it's the same defense or same offense and slightly different defense, vice versa. That, okay. Um, I think if you have two different decks, you are playing a mental game with yourself that you don't need to be doing. Come up with the best deck. And like I said, you have got to know your deck. Can, now, can you write out two decks, 50 cards in each deck, 10 card reserves? Can you do that? It's just very difficult to do. And you have to perfectly know and execute two different decks. I just don't, I don't think it gives you a competitive edge. I actually think it uh, hurts you because most people used to play three decks with uh, Heyman's plot. It's just not like that anymore. So that that's the answer. My experience with it last year was I was contemplating 
whether I should run Chariot of Fire with the Love at First Sight combo or Son of God. And I ended up not getting the cards in in time because I needed a few duplicates in order to run a second. So at the tournament beforehand, I was constantly, okay, which one should I play? And I ended up listening to the advice of John, who told me, you don't play Chariot of Fire for the games you're going to win anyway. You think about the games where you're going to run into the soul that's going to hinder you. And that's where you need to negate and rescue. And as he told me that, it kind of clicked in my head. If I did have a version with Chariot of Fire and Son of God, even at just that one change, I would constantly be, all right, which one do I need? Do I, do I need this one for this round? Yep. And you don't know who you're playing. You don't know what all, all that is before you have to select which deck you're going to play. So it's it's not like, oh, I can find out who I'm playing. And now this one gives me a better matchup. I get to pick it. So I can, I can tell that second deck or third deck, multiple decks is not for me. And what you talked about to me, how I took that was confidence. And confidence is an invaluable asset and trait to have. If I have confidence in my deck, I make less misplays. And if you are confident in what you're doing with your deck and what you're trying to do, then you're going to play better and you're going to have less misplays. And if you're constantly thinking, oh, if I had Chariot of Fire right now, I could do this. You're not thinking about what the opponent's doing and the board state and what's in your hand. You're thinking about, oh, if Son of God was here, or if Chariot of Fire is here, if I had this card, if I was playing this defense. And next thing you know, you're not even in, invested fully in the game. You're and distant your from the is. actual game. Correct. Yeah. But it was also, I think, a valuable lesson in like just straight up deck choice as well. You know, we were talking about making deck changes previously and him telling me you don't plan for the game that you're going to win otherwise. And if you're throwing down Chariot of Fire, more than likely you're controlling that game anyway. So you can potentially, you know, string out another turn or two with the combo, manipulating their cards in hand. You know, back when we had like I Am Holy and all of that to manipulate the evil cards in hand, you could probably squeeze out the win there. You just don't do it a turn faster. But yep. if they have a soul that is completely shutting you down, you know, there's there's nothing you can do if you have Chariot of Fire because Chariot of Fire doesn't help you in that situation. So you plan for what's going to be most applicable across – and this is kind of opposite of what I said earlier where you might overthink. But broad strokes of in more situations, Son of God helps you than Chariot of Fire. Yeah. Yep, you're right. And that was that was the first time that I met John, and, and he's like, yeah, I wouldn't play that. And I was like, why not? And he took me to school. <laughs> he gave you some thoughts. From Portland. <laughs> Portland. Did you see my dig on, on, on that, on Discord? When I was, no, I, I, I was struggling getting out the podcast. I had already delayed it a day, and I was like, this is my deadline. I'm giving myself, I'll have it out by noon. And I didn't get it out till like that that afternoon. It was late, way late from even the noon deadline a day later that I gave myself and I said, I feel like I'm trapped in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> I I just figured they ran out of thoughts. <laughs> so I guess we'll get ready to wrap up here. Want to thank you guys for tagging along and listening. 
And I don't know if you can tell, but I am fighting a sinus infection. So hopefully I'm not too nasally for you and you didn't turn this off five minutes into it. But uh, I want to thank the mad scientist. I, I think the mad scientist is going to stick for a nickname for you because you talk to yourself so. so much. So I like it. Mr. Mr. Hiatus, a.k.a. the mad scientist, thank you for joining. want to remind everyone that has signed up for the Lackey Grand Prix and Zoom Invitationals to get your games in. And also, for all of the tournaments that we went over before, if anyone attending those tournaments want to pass along results, I'll be happy to share them here on the podcast. But the only way that I know them is if they're shared. So um, there's that. And then also, reminder that Nationals pre-registration is open, and they will not be taking cash, or I'm sorry, card at the venue. They'll be taking cash, so you will pay in person in cash. Just a reminder on that. And Nationals, at the time that you're listening to this, as the breath leaves my lungs, 44 days away. Are you ready? Are you ready, Tyler? I asked you before. I'm are you ready. ready? Ready as I can be. Yeah. How many How many people do you think we got signed up? I'm thinking around 60 already pre-registered, and which means another 10, 15 are going to go on top of that, and then another 10, 15 are going to show up at least. General estimates. So right now... What is pre-registered is double the attendance from last year. Wasn't it about 30 last year? Uh, like players? I know there was more people that weren't playing uh, per yeah, se. Yeah, I think there was like 65 total, but it was like, yeah, there was like, four, let's just say 40 players. Yeah, so there's, I, I, I would argue, or I would say there's more pre-registered than players last year at this point. Nice. And that's all because we've been, you know, heading along that hype train. Which, the train don't stop, and you're the you're you're the engineer. Is that right? Choo choo! Here comes that <laughs> hype train again. Yeah, that's our friend, <laughs> former year turn games owner Derek Torado, <laughs> helping conduct the hype train. I keep all oh, the receipts, awesome. man. I love it. Oh wait, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Now I gotta figure it out. Dude, straight POC. Here we go. ITB, TD, a G Dom, then boom. Messing with my, my head, head cannon, cannon, bro. bro. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the other one. Broke. Yeah, broke. When a combo comes out, broke. It's broke. That's awesome. I gotta work on getting other sounds, but <laughs> I'm I'm all stocked up on Watchmen sounds. No such thing. Maybe I'll just, you know, rip some audio from one of your channels where you're like, well, I can't do that stupid. And, you know, oh, where you talk to yourself. <laughs> please do. I would love it. Oh, man. So, all right. We're going to wrap up here. Thanks, Tyler, for joining. And thank you guys for listening along. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you next week. Peace. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Episode number 35 in the books. I want to thank Tyler for coming on and letting us lean into some of his wisdom that he's gained over the years preparing for nationals. Hopefully you got something out of this podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening as always. So quick reminder to register for nationals. If you have not already done that and you are planning on attending, hopefully we see you all there. Also, get your Lackey Grand Prix and Zoom Discord Invitational games in if you've signed up for those also if you made it to this point in the podcast at the very end you are a trooper and i've got a reward for you this week on next week's episode we are going to have a mystery guest 
that is going to be bringing a huge announcement for the community. So, mystery guest, huge announcement, rub it in your friend's face that you know about it and they didn't because you listened to the very end of the podcast. I want to thank you guys again, as always, can't thank you enough. Peace.